Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, we take a look at public education funding and the legislature. We speak with the head of Pima County's largest school district and a parent in that district. We'll also hear about the challenges of teacher training, particularly for students with special needs. A year ago, the Save Our Schools No on Prop 305 movement was going strong and Red for Ed was starting to boil. No on 305 was fighting an expansion of empowerment scholarships or school vouchers, and Red for Ed supporters were calling for raises for teachers and support staff like librarians. Prop 305 was voted down, and teachers received a 20% raise over three years. But a year later, what does all that mean in Arizona's schools? I asked Tucson Unified School District Superintendent Gabriel Trujillo, has anything changed? Well, I think one key thing has changed, and we see better teacher salaries. However, teachers, though happy with higher salaries, still do not want to come to work with no air condition and with faulty Internet, with bad plumbing, with buildings that are dilapidated, with a lack of counselor support due to counselor ratios that are astronomical. So I continue to say it's about funding the entire system. Because when we look at teacher quit decisions, it's very clear that salary isn't the only thing, the only factor that will drive teachers out of the profession's working conditions as a whole. The new superintendent of public instruction, Kathy Hoffman, has given her state of education speech to uh, members of the legislature, and she mentioned a number of the things you just talked about one of which was health care benefits for teachers and things like that, making them more affordable. What do you hear from teachers besides salary? Are there other things that we need to do for teacher retention? Well, number one, you got to get in there and you have to take a look at the infrastructure of education and the infrastructure that supports the teacher. You've got student support services. You've got school facilities. And then you actually have their compensation packages. I call that the three-headed triangle, right, to address teacher retention. So you need strong student support services. These kids have emotional disabilities. They've got learning disabilities. We've got students coming from poverty, coming from trauma. You need an effective team of counselors and social workers and psychologists on the ground to support the classroom teacher for all of these outside the classroom issues. You need facilities that are clean, safe, and conducive to learning. You cannot be in a building that doesn't have air conditioning. You cannot be in a building that doesn't have carpet. You cannot be in a building where the roof is on the verge of collapse because you don't have money for preventative maintenance. You have to wait until the roof is inoperable to be able to get anything out of the school facilities board. So that's a situation that is continuing to be difficult. You've got to be in a learning space that offers technology, one-to-one devices, strong internet connection for the 21st century learner. And then on top of that, you need to be competitive with your salaries. You need to be able to offer teachers a salary that makes it worth it to stay, a salary that does not require them to work two jobs or three jobs with benefits to boot. The skyrocketing cost of health care is just continuing to be a challenge year after year. So I think this state really has to make a decision in terms of the leadership legislature and even at the governor's office, are we going to invest in education? You mentioned infrastructure problems with buildings. Percentage-wise, how many buildings within TUSD are in trouble? We have almost $7 million in deferred maintenance across 89 of our sites. 
Deferred maintenance projects could be roofing, tiles that need to be replaced, large sections of roofing across our district that need to be redone. HVAC systems, cooling towers continue to be our biggest problem. Some of our largest high schools like Choya High School, Tucson High, Saguaro, you know, we're dealing with cooling towers that are decades old and faulty and come in and out and air conditioning comes in and out. Our playgrounds, our play areas that are supposed to be safe and clean for kids, characterized by cracked blacktop that's uninhabitable at this point, not safe to put kids out there to play ball. Last year, tens of thousands of teachers showed up at the Capitol on strike, and they had a whole list of demands. The one that they got was the raise stepped in over a couple of years. They wanted more money for all those support groups, uh, be it librarians, counselors, and things like that. If the superintendents walked out and went up to the Capitol, would the legislature pay attention because you're a smaller number, or does it take tens of thousands of red T-shirt clad teachers to show up to get state lawmakers to pay attention? Actually, I think it takes tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of teachers to march up to the legislature and demand change. Superintendents, we serve at the pleasure of our governing boards. So in a lot of ways, we serve political entities. There's only so far we can go with our advocacy. A teacher, however, teachers in mass, thousands of them, they don't serve the same political bodies that we do. When they walk out of a classroom, the system stops. Parents don't have a place to take their kids. There's no childcare. There's no education going on for the day. The entire system is brought to its knees. So there is a power in that. There is an effectiveness. There is an influence in that, that superintendents and board members, though influential as we are, uh, would not have the same uh, everlasting effect. We're talking with Dr. Gabriel Trujillo. He's the superintendent for the Tucson Unified School District. As we mentioned earlier, the new superintendent of public instruction, Kathy Hoffman, spoke with state lawmakers. And one of the things she talked about in her state of education speech was the teacher shortage. She called it a crisis statewide. If it's a crisis statewide, how bad is it in TUSD? It's a crisis statewide, and it is a crisis in Tucson Unified. Now, thankfully, we opened up this school year with 81 vacancies, which is horrible. We, we've just gone from crisis to just bad. The previous three school years, we opened up in the triple digits, averaging 146, 134, and then 125 for the 17-18 school year. So opening up in 18-19 and able to be at 81 vacancies, which is fewer than one vacancy per school, Still not where we want to be, but better. It is indicative of the shortage in this state. Uh, more pronounced inside of our teacher shortage is the area of special education. Those that are qualified to work with students with disabilities, math, science teachers are very, very pronounced. Teachers that have reading certificates, that are reading specialists, also make up the brunt of our shortage. The superintendent also said in the next two years statewide, 25% of the teaching force if you will, will be eligible for retirement. Is this an older person's profession, and how do we attract in younger teachers, and how do we keep them? Number one, I think Superintendent Hoffman is correct. We have a graying workforce, and I know that's true in the Tucson Unified School District. The problem is if you look at teacher education programs, especially here at the University of Arizona, has a wonderful college of ed, innovative, cutting edge, they just have fewer students choosing to go into the program as undergraduates. 
And now the move that I see a lot of colleges of ed trying to do is alternative cert, meaning we're not grabbing the young people coming out of high school that want to come directly into college of ed as an 18-year-old freshman. However, now we need to reach out to the workforce and see if there are any non-traditional students coming from the private sector that want to come into education. I think that move right there is keeping us alive. Because if we truly had to rely just on the 18-year-old high school senior who dreams of being a teacher, the shortage would be exacerbated. It would be probably three times worse if we are going to really make a difference in this shortage, especially at the heart of the shortage, which what is the subject area, the content area that is most pronounced, you're going to hear special education. And, and it's just the same across, across the state. I think it's time that we recognize within the structure of public education, there are some positions that just need to make more money. It's time to recognize that the special education teacher and the math teacher, we probably need to look at differentiated pay scale for them. Raising them 2 or 3% I don't think is going to solve the issue. Giving them a stipend is not going to solve the issue. They need to be on different salary schedules that acknowledge the complexity of their work and the demand that they're in in this market. So what's the good news at TUSD? It all sounds pretty dire, but I'm, I'm sure there's something good at TUSD. No, there's several good things. Tucson Unified, amidst the largest teacher walkout in Arizona history, a devastating blow, which was the defeat of our bond that uh, happened earlier on in the fall. Another devastating blow from the legislature, a headshot, if you will, moving the desegregation tax levy over to the secondary rate. Amidst all of this, our amazing educators came together and orchestrated one of the strongest one-year comebacks in academic achievement in the state of Arizona. A quarter of all TUSD schools moved up an entire letter grade on the uh, Arizona Department of Education A through F letter grade system. The system, there's nine tested grade levels from third grade all the way up to 11. At all grade levels in both English language arts and math, our system showed between five and 8% growth per tested grade level. And that is a significant achievement. All right, well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to my return. That was TUSD Superintendent Gabriel Trujillo. As Superintendent Trujillo mentioned, special education teachers are a particular need in TUSD and schools statewide. AZPM's Emma Gibson spoke with Bruce Johnson, the Dean of the College of Education at the University of Arizona, about the barriers facing schools and teachers when it comes to special education. A job fair last Saturday for the Tucson Unified School District showed how desperate schools are for special education teachers. Out of the 91 teacher vacancies, 25 were for special education teachers and teaching assistants. Bruce Johnson says this isn't a new problem. Right now, all kinds of education positions in Arizona are hard to fill. Everything from elementary to secondary teachers to special education. But there are some areas like special education that have been hard to fill for many, many, many years. Special education teachers are required to write an individualized education program for each student that qualifies as disabled under the law. For each case, a team of teachers and school staff meet with the parents and the student annually to set individual goals for the student. The plan holds school staff legally accountable for providing these children with special needs education and other related services. Johnson says the strict laws that govern how special education teachers act in the classroom and the intense paperwork load can wear them down. 
some people just get tired of that kind of labor. So some people leave the profession, go out of special education, maybe become regular classroom teachers because they're just tired of all that regulation and paperwork and they want to spend their time actually doing the teaching. And of course, special education teachers do that as well. But I do hear complaints from people about how much the job itself is not what they envision as being a teacher because too much time is spent on that kind of burden. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, 13 percent of children in American public schools required special education services during the 2015-2016 school year. Like most school staff, teachers with special education certification have to balance the needs and expectation of the parents and their children with the realities of a classroom. Johnson also said he thinks many people who go into education don't automatically think about special education as a career option. He attributes this automatic disregard for the field to inexperience with people with special needs. I think part of it, too, is that there's a stigma to special education students in our society. Probably most of the people who are adults now, when they went through school, uh, there was much less integration of special ed students in their classrooms. They were kind of more segregated and didn't have a lot of opportunity to interact with them. When you do that on a very limited basis, it tends to reinforce stereotypes. I think a lot of people have a, a stereotypes about what being special ed means, and they think, eh, I'm not sure I want to work with those folks. And so I think part of the reason for making sure there's more inclusion these days, having students with special needs throughout all the experiences in a school, all kinds of classrooms, all kinds of activities, is to make sure that we reduce those stereotypes because people actually have much more contact and understanding. And hopefully that will lead then to people really saying, no, this is, this is what it's really like. This is really important work. But Johnson says Arizona schools have made progress. So one big change that's happened over the past several decades is the fact that now by law, students need, students with special needs can no longer be simply segregated into their own little classroom and kept apart from everyone else because we know that's no good for anyone. The U of A wants to reduce these stereotypes and fully introduce its students to the realities of teaching. Johnson says his school offers a one-year master's program that focuses on training teachers for special education positions. With our undergraduate teacher preparation programs, we have courses for freshmen or sophomores that exposes them to all these things to make sure they really do consider these things. But I wanted to know how local schools were planning to attract graduates with these new teaching and special education certificates. What do you think could incentivize students to graduate with these certificates and teachers to come to these school districts that need special education teachers? Our society having and showing more respect for teachers um, as professionals who really know what they're doing. And part of that is just simply the way we talk about teaching and teachers. Part of it also is compensating them as true professionals. We're starting to see that happening in the state. We have a long way to go. Uh, in special education in particular, it means we have to do whatever we can to reduce the non-teaching burdens of these people. In order to keep teachers teaching, Johnson says Arizona needs to give them a competitive wage and help them reduce student loan debt through federal, state, and local loan forgiveness programs. Even with such programs in place, Johnson says Arizona continues to struggle to fill teacher vacancies. That was AZPM's Emma Gibson, who spoke with Bruce Johnson, the dean of the UA College of Education. This week, we're talking about the state of school funding as the legislature starts voting on bills. 
Last fall, Arizona voters overwhelmingly rejected Proposition 305, which would have expanded empowerment scholarships or school vouchers. Stephanie Hamilton was the Southern Arizona regional lead on the No on 305 campaign. She's also a TUSD parent. The Save Our Schools effort was working as the Red for Ed movement formed last year. I started by asking Hamilton if the two efforts benefited from each other. Of course. And when the Arizona Educators United started to coalesce and form and get their networks developed, Save Our Schools was right there lockstep with them in the very beginning. We helped them. Um, In fact, in Tucson, I came on board with the No One 305 campaign right around the same time that the AEU was getting formed in Tucson, and we held a joint event in March to kick off the Arizona Educators United, their five asks, which um, one was partially met and the other four are still out there on the table. But Save Our Schools was right there in the thick of it um, because a win for education is a win for all of us. Unfortunately, uh, when the Invest in Ed initiative was kicked off the ballot, I think it was a hard, hard thing to take. But I, I was bowled over and amazed by the ways in which people pivoted and they grabbed our literature. They started going door to door with our No One 305 campaign. And I have to give so much credit to our educators who just stayed in the trenches and did the work to help us get the word out on that No One 305. You're a mom. You've got kids in school. Your your husband is a teacher. You pay attention to what's going on. But what happened last year that all of a sudden we had a huge groundswell of, of grassroots support for 305 and the Red for Ed movement. There are several things, and and definitely save our schools in the summer of 2017. Well, let's back up and start there. When SB 1431 passed by one vote in the House, people got angry and they got to work. And with an almost complete volunteer effort, we collected enough signatures during the summer when most people are gone and it's hot with tighter restrictions we gathered enough signatures to get SB 1431 on the ballot so first of all I think that showed people when you roll up your sleeves and you get people to join in things that seem impossible actually become possible so that was the first thing and then number two if you look at just the political landscape throughout the nation, you know, several critical things happened where there was a groundswell of grassroots everywhere. But I can tell you, the day that West Virginia went on strike, my husband came home, he's a middle school language arts teacher, he came home, and I had never seen as much hope and emotion in my husband. And I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but my husband's very pragmatic, he's very even keel. He was noticeably excited that a right-to-work state such as West Virginia went on strike. And it wasn't that they just went on strike, but they held the line when their first set of demands wasn't met. They went back and held the line. And he knew that if a state like West Virginia could do that, it was possible in Arizona. And lo and behold, that same day, and, and people tend to forget, Kentucky also went down to the Capitol and made a lot of noise because their benefits had been stripped, I believe, overnight. And so when you look at two states like West Virginia and Kentucky, 
I think people were paying attention, number one. And then number two, Oklahoma pulled the trigger right behind. And I think when we saw what was possible, it gave people the courage themselves to lean in and and actually dare to have the conversations of we of saying out loud, we deserve more. We're talking with Stephanie Hamilton. She's the former Southern Arizona regional lead for the No on 305 campaign. When it comes to the Red for Ed movement and its precursor, the the No on 305, and they, they kind of came together, and then summer came, and, and the teachers got some of what they wanted uh, out of the, the legislature, and the election came, and, and 305 was voted down. We've now moved into February. Do people still care, or or is this was that the issue of last year, and now people have moved on? Do you think? I have to say, no, not everybody has moved on. And yes, people still care. The issues are still in front of us. Arizona is still facing a, a teacher shortage. We are having a hard time retaining our experienced teachers and educators, not just the teachers, but but everybody who touches the life of a child as an educator. I think folks are becoming more nuanced in the conversation or are drilling down and understanding the many layers and details that go into understanding how our education system is funded and and the politics at play. So yes, I think folks are still engaged, but it's different. When you have a movement, it's an emotional reaction and a great surge of energy which is very heady and very exciting, but it is hard to maintain. The real work comes in the day-to-day, the slow grind of being engaged and the steady walk of knowing what's on the landscape, knowing how to interface, and having the face-to-face conversations with the people in power where you can have leverage and where it matters. And I am seeing people do this step up who are have come out of the red for ed movement and who are trying to work very smart at being the best advocate they can be um, for our public schools in the state of Arizona. Do members of the legislature listen or does it take hundreds of thousands of signatures to get Prop 305 put on the ballot or, or tens of thousands of teachers for a week at a time showing up at the Capitol to get their attention? The smart legislatures do listen. They and they hear us. And I think folks who have been who have cast votes and who have advocated for public school funding, absolutely they're listening and they're just as frustrated as we are. Unfortunately, we don't have a majority yet. We are getting so much closer. But no, not everybody listens. And as we can see, again, there have been two bills in the Senate that want to revisit this idea of empowerment scholarship expansion. And so, um, no, not everybody listens. Um, The teachers, you know, have felt a little bit of a sting. They were were uh, chastised and and we're still seeing some of that in the newspapers but i think we did catch the attention of some folks who were on the fence or maybe took a stance that wasn't pro-public education but now i think are reconsidering their thoughts in addition to the work you did on 305 you're also a member of a parent advocacy group for for tusd what are the parents of tusd interested in First and foremost, we're interested in having fully funded public schools that provide a quality education. We are for no more tax cuts. 
um, until our per pupil funding reaches that at the national level. We are for advocating for policies that um, improve the quality education, you know, for our students. One, two of the things that um, actually are moving quite quickly this year in the legislature that we started advocating for last year in particular, one was the career and technical education, returning that fourth year of funding. Um, And just today, while you and I are speaking, Representative Ingalls bill is being heard. And then another one was there is a four hour mandatory block for English language learners, ELL, uh, to have separate and pull out learning for a four hour block, which tends to put those children behind the learning curve. And studies have shown that children learning a second language benefit and learn much more quickly when they're in an integrated classroom. And so that is one of the things that we as parents of children in TUSD have been advocating for to remove that four hour block. And both of those bills seem to be passing through. The ELL bill almost made it through last year. So um, we're confident that those two bills at least will will be fast tracked. Um, Capital funding. Oh my goodness, is that a a huge need. In 2008, if I remember correctly, the state wiped out the funding for capital improvements that took the budget down 90% to 10% for capital funding for the whole state of Arizona, which means um, things that get put into the capital funding are your textbooks. Sorry, textbooks have not been updated. A lot of schools moved to use an integrated and integrate a lot of technology into their pedagogy and there's no funding to maintain and upgrade technology. Um, Talking about school buses, we're talking about HVAC units, we're talking about buildings, courts. So that's one of the things we have been advocating for and uh, are hoping for a little bit of movement this year, maybe with some one-time funding we could get some of these things up to code. We will be meeting in a in a week or so to look at all the education bills and then we'll rate what we think are good ideas and what are bad ideas and we'll circulate that. We had a nice little scorecard last year to let parents know and then also to work on learning about the request to speak system so that folks can call in and can communicate directly. That's another piece that we do is to push the advocacy and the communication to our local representatives at the legislature. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for having me. That was Stephanie Hamilton, a local parent active in lobbying for public education bills. And that's the buzz for this week. Next week, we take the show on the road to Bisbee, where we tour the new Bisbee Science Lab and talk about STEM education and the challenges of finding teachers for those subjects. You can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Broch has produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.